for the nonprofits, the way that that happens is you can communicate yourself until you're blue in the face about the great work that you do and how inspirational you are. And that isn't going to get you a member to donate or the money to do your mission until you can marry that to some effective ask. You're listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swinefort. Hey everybody, Stu here with another great episode of Relish This. My guest today is Mark Eller, and he is the Memberships, Major Gifts, and Foundations Director at Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics, which is a Boulder-based nonprofit that does a lot of really great work getting the word out about how we can all be better stewards when we're out in the outdoors. So one of the great things that Mark has is his wealth of experience in communications, copywriting, editing, etc. And he sees a really interesting differentiation between communications and marketing, where marketing things are all transactional and communications are all about kind of building awareness. It was a really cool conversation. I hope you have a good time listening to it. Mark's a great guy. And uh, here we go. Hey, Mark, how are you doing today? Howdy, Stu. I'm doing pretty well. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you joining me. I'm excited to talk more about what you guys are up to at uh, Leave No Trace and how everything's going and then have a have a really fun discussion about uh, hopefully talk about communications and marketing budgets and and how uh, nonprofits can kind of differentiate between those things. Great. Yeah, it's a, it's a rich topic for sure. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've been doing a little bit of research, which I I thoroughly appreciate. So thank you so much for doing that. Yep. So tell us a, a bit about your organization and what you guys have been up to and how things are going, uh, you know, coming out of, out of, well, hopefully coming out of this, this crazy pandemic we've been involved with for the last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, a really been an interesting time for Leave No Trace uh, Center for Outdoor Ethics. So a uh, national uh, nonprofit based here in Boulder, and um, we've been around for a little over 25 years now. Um, interestingly enough, I think the uh, Leave No Trace Center once shared a building with our friends at the Access Fund, the Climbers Advocacy Group, and with International Mountain Bicycling Association, which is where I worked for 11 years before joining the center. So I've been with Leave No Trace Center for about five years now, but did um, a long stint as communications director for IMBA. And uh, like I said, all three of those Boulder nonprofits uh, share a DNA and uh, used to share an office space together. Was that at Galvanize where you were with IMBA? It was on, or? It was on Broadway. The old office was on Broadway. Um, and until not too long ago, it close to the Hill campus area, okay. there was an old IMBA logo still on display from, you could see from the street. Um, and that, I never worked out of that building, but, uh, that was the kind of the origin story for, for those three nonprofits. Oh, that's awesome. I actually worked for a ad agency back in the day called MPH. So this is back in the late nineties yeah. and they had an office that I think the nature conservancy or leave or geez, or 
access fund or somebody like that moved into after after they kind of wrapped up their operations um, that was out kind of off of Folsom. Um, so kind of where Nature Conservancy is now. So Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I think a lot of nonprofits share a uh, common history with uh, an organization that either became a, a peer organization or went away or evolved into something. One of the funny things about those three, Access Fund, IMBA, and Leave No Trace all have had some version of a traveling program. Mm-hmm. And uh, Subaru has been a sponsor for Leave No Trace, um, was a sponsor for IMBA. Um, Access Fund, I believe, is still with Jeep. Um, but they've all had kind of traveling educators. So you just kind of see like these uh, this DNA um, express itself in different ways in different organizations that have maybe some common themes running back in time. Yeah, for sure. And Boulder is just such a, a, a place that it just has so many great nonprofits doing some amazing things in that community. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like can't, you know, throw a rock without hitting, hitting a nonprofit in that town, it seems like. Yep. Yeah. It's funny. We've been working on, I can tell you a little bit of one up to now at the center, but one of the things I'm really excited about is our tourism partnerships program, which is pretty new for the center. We've been involved with tourism in different forms for a long time, but this is a a new partnership program. um, And we've engaged with uh, statewide partnerships here in Colorado and Arizona, uh, North Carolina, New Hampshire. Um, and one of the common things when you meet with these tourism groups is they say, oh, there's so many different environmental nonprofits in our state or our city. And just trying to get them all aligned around one message is a, a challenge unto itself. And um, it makes you know a lot of sense. And it's a good reason for us to be involved in that work is um, uh, Leave No Trace is able to come in and, and say, well, let's do some work in this area. I get these stakeholders as aligned as possible, which is easier said than done, and um, and kind of get a bunch of different nonprofits who might be in totally different spaces in terms of the recreation types that they deal with or the interests that they have and see if we can't find the common elements, which we all share of wanting to protect natural resources. Yeah, it's really cool to see when nonprofits are able to do that. And I remember a really great case study from, gosh, it's been, it's probably been 15 years or so, but it was when they were trying to open up an area, um, kind of North of, of, um, oh geez, uh, kind of out by Grand Junction. They were going to, they were going to open it up for a lot more, um, oil and gas development. Mm-hmm. And two organizations came together and uh, I'm trying to remember who it one, who it was, but one was like got Ducks Unlimited, and the other was was somebody like um, Access Fund or somebody like that that you would think wouldn't have a ton of overlap, but these they both saw how much impact this was going to have to that area, and uh, and and essentially just came together and and made it so that that development didn't actually go through, and and that area was preserved for wildlife and and uh, and wilderness. So it was really it's really cool to see when nonprofits can kind of pool their resources and, and even if they have, you know, different missions or, or different user groups, but be able to, to really create a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun when it works. It doesn't always work, you know, at the end of the day, um, nonprofits are like every other business where you have competitors and can play in a competitive space sometimes. And 
Other times you're able to put differences aside and say, well, the benefits of working together outweigh looking at each other as competing for dollars or members or messaging. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously it's it's nice when you can move past the kind of competition level and find a strike up a partnership. Uh, I'll just say real quickly to that, um, just by way of kind of background on me as your guest is that I moved here around the time frame you mentioned in the late 90s to work as an editor at Rock and Ice magazine. Right. I've been an East Coast guy my whole life and um, had kind of drifted into journalism and uh, getting a job at one of the climbing magazines was sort of my dream gig. So landed in Boulder and um, worked for a bunch of different outdoor sports titles as an editor. Uh, I started writing for Trail Runner, the sister publication of Rock and Ice, and then eventually um, shifted back to, uh, well, shifted to different things, um, working with Ski Racing Magazine, which um, Velo News, mm-hmm. their parent company, had acquired. And that was a funny episode in my professional life because <laughs> I'm not an alpine skier at all. Um, I was going to help cover the Nordic scene and uh, uh, the lead editor left and I was thrust into uh, covering World Cup alpine racing, which is just such an intense awesome sport. I still follow to this day. I still don't alpine ski. I'm a snowboarder and a, and a Nordark skier, but uh, uh, it was just one of those things where you had to adapt on the fly and some ways fake it till you make it. And uh, that's what I loved about small magazines. And that's what I like equally about nonprofit communications and marketing work. Um, you know, currently I work in the development department for Leave No Trace, raising funds. Um, at Imba, I was focused on communications more so than than fundraising. And uh, just like my small magazine background, I like that you can wear a bunch of different hats. You know, I've, yeah. I've helped invent um, a citizen science program at Leave No Trace just because I saw the need to have a cool technology program to wave in front of potential funders and donors. And that bought me into learning everything I could about citizen science. So it really reminded me of being a magazine editor where you're like, wow, wow, there's these whole set of climbers I didn't know about that are doing deep water soloing. And I got to find out everything I can about that scene in our sport. And uh, you just kind of off you go and you learn what you can and you try to report something back to uh, a readership that's really interested and authentic, you know, knowledge based. Um, you, You can't you can't pull the wool over their eyes for too long. Although I tried, it's key racing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. It's amazing how scrappy, um, yeah, both that kind of independent publishing arena is as well as, as nonprofits. And it's just, it's this kind of DIY, get it done attitude. And it's one of the things I love most about working in, in this space. And, and, uh, you know, as I mentioned on our, on our first conversation, I actually was, uh, an intern at rock and ice, probably just before you joined. Um, so it's, it's fun to see how, you know, how many different touch points we have together. It's, it's super cool. Yeah. Small community and lots of people doing cool things and Boulder's great. And all, you know, as you said, Stu, the, the multiple nonprofits here, um, you can learn a lot. And a part of that process of, you know, wearing lots of different hats and being able to tell a good story is learning to listen to experts. Um, certainly if you're talking about outdoor recreation and environmental education, we've got a lot of experts here in Boulder that are worth listening to. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, 
it's a, it's a really great place to be able to, to get a ton of experience and expertise in that realm. So one of the things I'm just intrigued by with leave no trace is, you know, all of the impact that has been going on over the past several years. And we see it, you know, most noticeably here in the front range of Colorado, but just people are out, um, you know, going crazy in the, in the woods, which, which I, I love seeing people enjoying our, our open spaces and our natural resources and, and all of that. But tell us a, just a bit about your mission there at Leave No Trace and how, um, how things are going with, with that as, as we see just, you know, unprecedented use and, uh, of, of our natural places. Yeah, it's, it definitely has been quite the story. And, um, one of the nice things about the center's approach is that they really we take a very data driven approach to um, what works and what doesn't in terms of messaging and addressing impacts to natural areas. So, in that regard, we partner oftentimes with Penn State um, for large scale research projects, and we did a nationally representative survey of Americans about their recreation habits. And it was actually multi-phase through the COVID pandemic. So fairly early, we got our first survey out there and then did two more phases after that. And one of the big takeaways is that, yes, you know, people initially were canceling international trips and other types of vacations and deciding to buy some backpacks or some paddle boards and make uh, their vacation plans around natural areas that were close to home. Uh, We also know from the survey work that that is likely to continue. People are saying very clearly in the survey data that they, um, now that, you know, eventually they were able to get their hands on some outdoor equipment, which all sold out immediately, but uh, they got, and they, they started planning their trips around natural areas even more than they had in the past. And that, at least if they're going to believe people take them at the word, um, will not recede very quickly because they've made that investment in the equipment. They had a lot of great experiences, um, but it also left us with a lot of new users or people that are new to a new form of outdoor recreation. And that has a, a potential to create a lot of impacts. And I think we all experienced that. It was not just that there was heavy use, but there are also people doing things that they maybe hadn't had so much of a background in in the past. For example, people that are used to running on the Boulder Creek path here in town saw that, wow, I can't stay six feet apart from people. Well, maybe I'll get out on a trail. And, you know, trail running is is similar, but not the same as running uh, around streets and and paved bike paths. So people have uh, learning curves and um, good uh, positive messages about how do you anticipate the recreate the impacts you might cause when you're in a natural area is um I'm not afraid of running out of work to do for the center in that in those areas anytime soon yeah for sure it's <clears throat> you know it's one of those challenges that I think is has been um you know it just continues to grow and and you know it is about education and that's what I love about uh, about your organization is just the you know the, that mission toward getting people you know, to understand how their, their activities affect uh, the places that they like to play. And that's what we're hearing with this tourism partnerships program. That's uh, just a couple of years old now, but really getting inundated with a lot of requests. And 
this is by no means unique to the front range. Um, you know, we're talking to beach communities. We're talking to um, communities in the Great Lakes region. We're talking to communities, you know, here at home in Colorado. And they're all saying the same things of like, you wouldn't believe if you saw how crowded our trails got this summer or our beaches or whatever. And we're saying, yeah, we would believe it because we're hearing it from pretty much every sector of the nation and, and internationally as well right now. I mean, this happened in Europe too. They, um, we have a really dynamite presence, especially Leave No Trace in um, the UK and Ireland and Scotland and same thing there. People are going into natural areas. They're going maybe a little farther than they used to, to try to get away from all the busiest places. Mm-hmm. And that's leading to a real need for good environmental education. So what are you guys doing to get the the word out is, and spread that knowledge around, you know, how to behave in, in, in the outdoors? Yeah. I mean, so we really focus on the education aspect. You know, there are other um, the hashtag recreate responsibly movement is a mm-hmm. great thing that we've had a hand in shaping, but, um, uh, recreate responsibly is a message based campaign that doesn't offer a ton of education resources behind it right now. Whereas we see that as our kind of speciality, you have the good messaging, um, and we love to work with, you know, a lot of the tourism partners in particular, or the outdoor gear companies we work with have great marketing in-house and can devise a fantastic looking campaign. But when it comes to what, what are you going to do to train, say, rangers and state parks across the state of New Hampshire and how to share low impact practices, um, that's where that depth of educational knowledge comes in. Mm-hmm. Sender has a long tradition there. And so it's, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's great to work with marketers that come up with good looking campaigns and smart sounding taglines, but taglines and imagery only gets you so far when you're trying to um, change people's behaviors in the outdoors. And then you have to say, well, what could we offer them in terms of trainings? And how are we going to assess all of our um environmental messaging and see how well or how not well aligned it is. And that's where I think the center is where it can, can really shine. Yeah. It seems like there's an opportunity there to, to, you know, incentivize people through some kind of accreditation or things like that, that people just kind of like to, you know, they like to have a patch to put on their pack or, or their vest or whatever. Absolutely. Um, And I'm sure you guys are doing some of that type of work, right? Yeah, those things. I mean, we we customize with all these partners, you know, corporate, we have uh, community partners, which are usually smaller sized organizations. We have this new category of tourism, lots of others, like most nonprofits, we probably have too many categories of uh, that we work with for the membership side of things. But, um, you know, with all of them, we try to uh, assess their particular needs and tweak the messaging so that it, it fits their audience the best once one size fits all messaging um has its limitations and then when you mm-hmm. can customize it to an audience it it gets better results and you can you can measure those things it's it's a real challenge another thing that is probably familiar territory to a lot of nonprofit uh pros who might be listening is how right metrics how do you measure success right. and in our case particularly with leaving a trace i think the essence of it is how do you measure the impacts that didn't happen 
because you were successful in educating people, right? Right. <laughs> right. And measure the absence of bad things. And if you're doing a fantastic job with educating people, but the volume of visitation goes up by 400%, right. you still may have more impacts than you had the previous year. So you've got to tease out some pretty sophisticated um, techniques. Um, one thing that uh, Ben Lahan, our education director, has um, become a, a real expert in in the field of what they call human dynamics when it comes to uh, resource management is paired observation studies where you survey people about their beliefs about leave no trace or other environmental things, but you also observe that same person who filled out a survey or answered some questions at the trailhead, and then you watch their behaviors and you pair what the survey um, self-reporting sort of said with what you observe them doing. And people may not even be aware that those things don't match up. Their behavior didn't match up with their um, self-reported understanding of leave no trace principles. So, you know, then we can help the land manager or friends of group or whoever we're working with to say like, you know, even though these people think they're doing a great job with pet waste, right. um, what that means to them is not necessarily what we want or what you want to limit resources. So let's dive deeper and see how we can figure out where the, where the misunderstandings are happening and help people do better. Yeah, it's really, um, that must be a challenge and trying to figure out how to normalize the data so that you are comparing, um, you know, apples to apples, uh, you know, figuring out what, how to, how to make that happen is, is a real challenge, I bet. It really is. Yeah. And you've got, you know, a lot of assumptions people make. I mean, one of the things in this tourism realm is that there's always this tension between the residents and the tourists. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of othering, right? You know, it's, well, it's, I've lived here for 20 years and I know what to do. Uh, and it's these people coming in from wherever, um, they're the villain. And, uh, you know, what we've actually observed a lot is that uh, residents give themselves a lot of agency to not follow the regulations. Right. You know, I lived here and I've always used that trail. So I don't really care if it's been closed off for the season for revegetation. That's my trail. Right. Um, and that, you know, is a really difficult dynamic to break down. Um, it is nice. I will say that leave no trace as a message and a theme has a pretty high level of consumer trust. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's nice. I loved working at Imba. I think it's a great organization, but you're always coming into every conversation with that. Are you pro bike? Or are you anti bike? You know, and you're got the single user right. lens that people look at you through like, well, I don't like the mountain bike people. So I don't really care what you have to say. Right. It's really nice to work for an organization that doesn't have that single user group um, tag associated with it from the get-go. Yeah, for sure. One of the um, nonprofits I work with is is a, a trail organization up in Netherlands called Netherland Area Trails Organization. And we yep. um, position ourselves as as agnostic in terms of trail use. Um, you know, we're certainly we, we ride bikes, we run, we have equestrians among our, our group of people and, you know, people who just like to go out and hike to a picnic spot. And, and so we try to position you know everything that we do in in that from that lens of of you know multi-user access and enjoyment um but it's tough uh you know mountain biking 
does show up fairly loudly. And so, um, you know, people tend to associate, you know, our organization with, with mountain biking in particular, even though, you know, we are really trying to be a, an all-inclusive trail organization. And, and it's just, uh, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking is just being able to get that, that leave no trace message out to a diverse set of people, um, it must be, you know, one of your, one of your main missions. It is. Um, it's an interesting one. One of the legacies of this particular organization is that it has this big tradition in scouting, right? Like a lot mm-hmm. of people associate Leave No Trace closely with their Boy Scouts of America or Girl Scouts of the USA um, experience. And um, that's a great thing. And it actually really is helpful from being able to play well on both sides of the political divides that we have. Um, mm-hmm. Outing groups tend to be a little more conservative in their orientation and I see that as an immense strength for Leave No Trace is that we're not so easily categorized as like, well, they're really, you know, the, the hippie types from Boulder. Right. Yeah, we got those and uh, proud of that, of having those kind of people in our organization. But we have have a huge presence with um, that scouting tradition is really strong and has been doing wonderful things. And for like example, I've always said about the the citizen science stuff, I mentioned earlier, um, if you give a couple of Eagle Scouts um, the right citizen science project, they'll do things that'll blow your mind. Yeah. You've got these earnest um, young people that are, need to, you know, impress their their leaders and show them that they're worthy of that designation. And um, it's a great opportunity to tap into something that's science-based and maybe helps get you away from, well, which which kind of enclave are you going to associate yourself with in terms of user groups or political orientation? I think Leave No Trace has some nice advantages and like everybody else challenges as well um, for how you're perceived. Um, And maybe, you know, perceptions is a good moment to shift towards that marketing and communications stuff that we have been talking about of where is the right time to focus on a communication strategy or a marketing strategy and break down those barriers people have of why they think they should or shouldn't support your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. So in your mind, marketing and communications, you know, they kind of, they're, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I'm assuming you think that they, you feel that they sort of are, you know, rowing the same boat, but sometimes maybe not the same direction? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, I try to keep a pretty, uh, I, well, first I'll reveal my bias. I mean, I came from magazines and editor positions, and I think I'm probably more of a communications person than a marketer uh, at heart, but I've found that the marketing challenge is a really interesting one and very rewarding when it goes well. It's It's I mean, in my mind, marketing is all about trying to inspire a financial tra- transaction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes beyond financial, sometimes it's coming to join a trail work event or participate in a program. But often, you know, the crux of marketing and the way you're evaluated in that space is how many dollars did you raise? Um, and I think that's a totally fair and necessary part of nonprofit work, you know, no money, no mission. Um 
So for 11 years at Imba, I primarily focused on spending the money that the development team would bring in um, through different communications products and initiatives. And now I think it's quite healthy to be on the other side of the equation and say like, hmm, how are we going to raise enough money that we can do this great new webinar series that we want to offer or whatever it is. But, you know, as a um, development department person now, I'm, I'm more in the marketing space than ever before. And um, so, yeah, to me, you know, communications is about inspiring um, knowledge and trust of your organization. And um, the marketing part of that is, are you going to uh, make a donation or do something else to further the, the capacity of the organization because the communications inspired you and now we're going to try to convert that into some form of support. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, way to look at it. We we tend to think of of kind of the audience engagement cycle as having four main pillars and the first being um, attract, then convert, then bond, and then inspire. And, and essentially people kind of flow <clears throat> into and around that ecosystem as their, uh, you know, their needs change and, and their engagement with, with your organization changes. So you are kind of likening communications to that attract phase mm-hmm. and then marketing being what, what do you do with those people once you get them to the site to try and get them to take that action, which would be when, when they, you know, so that bonding, that converting and bonding phase of, of that process, it sounds to me like. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to, to say it. And, um, you know, I think it's related to our past lives in journalism in that, um, for a long time, people were quite willing and just assumed the natural order th- of things was to subscribe to the um, magazines and eventually the websites that provided the content that you liked. Um, but what we've seen that's made it so incredibly tough in that world is that consumers now have so many choices for free content. Yeah. And they've spoken pretty loudly that lots of free content is as good or better than paying for premium content. And, you know, that's obviously led to a kind of a death spiral for a lot of smaller publications. It's you're competing with social media in particular that offers unlimited free content. You can consume your whole life away. And a lot of people have made it clear, like I said, that, you know, if the quality is not always as high as professional journalists, whatever, I can keep scrolling until I find something that I do like. Right. Um, and, you know, people love to bitch and moan about paywalls. Um, but at the same time, they'll equally bitch and moan about how there's nothing but crap out there to read. Um, and uh, it's uh, quite a dilemma. And I think for the nonprofits, the way that that happens is you can communicate yourself until you're blue in the face about the great work that you do and how inspirational you are. And that isn't going to get you a member to donate or the money to do your mission until you can marry that to some effective ask. So, yeah. you know, simply streaming as much content out the door as possible as is not a good communication strategy. I think it's part of a communication strategy to do enough of that, that you stay on people's radar, but you have to be able to um, mix in a hopefully readable or entertaining or inspiring ask message 
not just crank out as much inspirational content as you can or else as a a nonprofit, whether you call you think of yourself as a communicator or a marketer, you're going to have to address this question of, is it enough um, to just have a great mission and, um, you know, scream it from the rooftops, how great your mission is um, probably not going to get you too far in today's super busy communication streams that we're all trying to swim in. Yeah. It's amazing, right? The, um, our friends over at next after have this, they call this the value proposition where there's all this friction in the nonprofit world where it's essentially an uphill battle because people don't necessarily wake up every day saying, okay, how can I give away some of my money today? And so in a for-profit space, there's an exchange of, you know, money for product or money for service. And in the nonprofit space, it's, the the trigger that happens actually happens um, before that transaction is complete. And there's an immediate fall off um, as soon as somebody makes a decision like, okay, I think I'm going to give to this organization. There's an immediate fall off of that enthusiasm and that dopamine that, that kind of gets, gets hit. Um, so you have to make sure that they follow through with that, with that, uh, intention. Um, but it's also just such an uphill battle with friction points all along that, that route of, of trying to get them interested and understand why, um, why they not only should donate to you. So the decision is, is not just, should I donate to this organization A or B? So you have to differentiate yourself between other similar organizations, but also this friction of, or not do it at all. Um, and so there's just all this additional tension that's in there and, and, um, and having, you know, kind of that, uni- that unified or that, that coordinated communications and marketing strategy is I think probably really important in, in getting people to make that final decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always thought that like, um, for-profit companies should really take a hard look at uh, an application they get from a uh, any applicant with a nonprofit background because you're essentially trying to sell a product that is nothing more than an idea and a feeling of belonging, right? And yeah. you know, if you can do that and succeed in getting people to consistently donate, you've really pulled off something um, impressive, I think, because you know we we all as nonprofits pride ourselves on our mission and our program efficiency. And, you know, the center has a uh, top rating, four-star um, rating from Charity Navigator and other nonprofit, but that that's not going to get somebody to donate either, right? You can say, you know, 90 cents of every dollar goes towards programs and that's all great, but you're still trying to get somebody to um write a check for a hundred dollars or a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars based on mostly a feeling of, I like these guys and gals. I like the work that they do and I like the way they do it. And I just need to contribute to this cause. And, uh, that is quite the challenge. I mean, you know, another, some organizations really focus on, uh, a great suite of member benefits, which can Mm -hmm. be a really good thing for a while. Imba had, um, when I was there, they had uh, bikes fly free. Uh, right, I out, remember that. Right, and that yeah. was for a lot of people. That was like that's pretty much why I'm a member. You know, I don't like everything you guys do, but bikes fly free. You can't beat that. And well, that went away. Um, was hard to replace. I 
you know, the it it's a little bit of a treadmill to get on with the member benefits package. Um, I think it's always got to be there. It's an important part of of marketing your organization. But if you're trying to sell a membership to a nonprofit purely based on getting the backpack, um, I think you're always going to be on this treadmill of, well, how can we get a better benefit than last year? Or now we can't get this one again. And are we going to lose half our members? Because that voucher went away. It's it's um it can be a fraught path to go down. Yeah, I think you you said it really well with the idea that if if somebody can market and and communicate <clears throat> that that story and and in the nonprofit space, actually in in any industry, we really recommend trying to position your organization or your business as the guide in that process and and figuring out how to do that as a nonprofit is a it's a little bit of a challenge um, to to get the organization positioned to make the donor or the volunteer the hero, and um, and it's a little twist on that on on that communication that uh, that just needs to happen so that people can get excited and and decide, yeah, I'm going to give to Leave No Trace versus you know another organization that does similar things or or like I said, not give at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've got lots of, I mean, marketing is such a multi-layered beast these days, but um, you've got the world of content marketing, which is probably something that you and I as editors feel at home in, but then, you know, tracking ads and and uh, all the um, subtle um, tricks of the trade that go along with Google analytics and tracking social ads and um demographic profiles. And, you know, you have to be a, uh, an effective marketer. You have to have, at least, have, I think, have a working knowledge in all those different areas to be effective in nonprofits, just like you would in a for-profit company. If you're not paying attention to the way those things have evolved, then you're probably not being the best um, uh, marketer for your nonprofit that you could be. Yeah. And it's a real challenge because everything changes just you know, on a dime sometimes. I know there's some new Google algorithm changes coming up that I think are going to make, make some people's heads hurt here in the, in the not too distant future. Yeah. Yeah. And new platforms, you know, why, why aren't we all on TikTok? I can't tell you. Right. Well, that's all audience, right? And and that's the other piece is, is figuring out. and And that's the other real challenge, I think, for um, for organizations, particularly ones that have, you know, a, a very wide variety of, of stakeholders. So for example, um, you know, if you have volunteers and those people tend to be younger, let's say you're a trail building organization and, and a lot of your volunteers tend to be, um, you know, younger, but your donors tend to be older and your corporate sponsors tend to be kind of in the middle, you have to figure out how to message to each of those audiences effectively and, and, and figure out how to get in front of them where they show up to get information so that, so that you can bring them into the fold. And all of a sudden you're, you're spread so thin that you're not able to do, you know, not, not able to do as, as effective of a job as, as you could, if you were focused on just one user group that you could wrap your arms around where they go to get information and where they show up. Yeah. I mean, I, a couple of thoughts. Um, one of the, as I mentioned, one of the nice legacies of 
leave no trace center is that it's a data driven approach um, that's sort of built into the organization. That is uh, also true. I, I try to make it true. I think we all do of the way that we market and communicate. Um, and so uh, not making assumptions about your demographics is really key. Um, for example, you know, the kind of um, old saw is that your Facebook audience is your oldest uh, slice of your demographic. Yep. But for the center, Facebook, our strongest demographics are the 18 to 25 and the 26 to uh, 38, whatever the breakdowns are. Right. They're actually um, the, the biggest following in Facebook is the youngest demographics that are tracked other than the, the tween age people. But um, right. that, you know, I think is a really good example of like when somebody tells me, well, don't put that on Facebook because they're all the old people. And I'm like, well, actually, look here, look, this is the biggest reach that we have for 18 to 25 is actually our Facebook following. So um, don't fall prey to uh, to making assumptions. Um, be data driven in your approach as much as you can. And I'm an English major, so these are painful words for me to say. <laughs> um and, you know, I will put in a plug for our uh, friends the the over at Google. Um, you, know, you don't always hear, you know, nice praise for Google every day. Uh, a lot of people see them as uh, just too big. But I will say that Google for Nonprofits is an incredibly powerful program. And if you're not enrolled in Google for Nonprofits and you're in the nonprofit space, I would suggest you take another look at that because the the array of tools and um, free ads and things that you can do by having an enrollment in that program is pretty amazing. And uh, I think worth some celebrating. Yeah. You hear, you know, people talk about Google grants um, from time to time. And I just think that it's an amazing opportunity that does take some effort, but, um, but once you're in that program, you know, it may not be, it may not be your best traffic source, but it's a new traffic source that is just sitting there ready to be tapped. So, um, you know, looking at, at all of those tools, I think is, is, you know, that's great advice. I appreciate you bringing that up. And especially, you know, most of us out there are probably on a $0 marketing budget or close to it. We try to do as much as we can with all the free tools that are available that obviously, um, has some limitations and tends to change, you know, for nonprofits that get above probably that five to $10 million mark, you're, you're not talking about a $0 marketing budget at that point. Right. You're still used to, um, doing everything you can as cheaply as you can. Google for nonprofits is certainly, uh, worth a look if, if you're working on that, um, $0 marketing budget right now. Yeah, for sure. So, so at leave no trace, what, how do you distinguish or differentiate between communications and marketing? Are they, are they, you know, like kind of connected at the hip Are are they two separate, uh, you know, parts of your organization? How, how does that work where you're, where you're playing? Yeah, it, it's, um, interesting. I definitely, uh, joined at the hip and try to stay in synchronicity as much as possible, um, for me, it you know it's been a good professional challenge to kind of step away 
the thing that comes easiest to me would be to write press releases and call up folks in the media and do all my bag of tricks from being a communications director. But, um, you know, I have a different set of tasks in front of me now. So I try not to step on toes too much. We, the people doing communications at the center are great at what they do. And I will say, here's a story that might be worth a a share on our social feed. And I've got probably a marketing purpose behind wanting that story to go onto our feed, but um, that's not my role. So, you know, the communications team is welcome to say like, it's not what we're talking about this week, but we'll keep it in mind for later. That's totally fair. And um, uh, we just need to find that uh, happy medium. You know, in my mind, if I had to give a a formula to it, 10 to 20% of communications messaging might take up a marketing um, theme, uh, something about joining as a member or contributing to a campaign or making some sort of contribution to the mission. Um, and I'm perfectly happy if 75, 80, 90% of the messaging some weeks is just around raising, raising awareness and communicating the values and uh, knowledge that the center has to share. So, you know, it's got to be a blend. You certainly can um, overburden your followers with too much marketing-oriented messaging. But like I said, you don't want to go down the road of like, well, we'll just crank out so much content about how great we are and we'll never ask anybody for anything. Um, That's not going to probably get your nonprofit to where you want it to be. Right. Right. In fact, we've, we see that one of the things that that we really like to push is this idea of value exchange and just getting great information out there that, that comes from an organization, but isn't necessarily always about that organization um, can be really uh, effective in that you're not constantly, you know, you know, beating people over the head with, with asks for, you know, their time or their money or, or whatever else. And, um, so positioning yourself as someone who's knowledgeable and willing to share information and excited about the idea of just educating people, um, can, can then really help, um, you know, bolster those asks when, when they are made. Yeah. Yeah. And celebrating, you know, the people that got you there, right? Your your board members, your um, your members, uh, you know, for us at Leave No Trace, a lot of times land managers that are doing a great job with spreading a Leave No Trace, Trace message in a particular forest or park or river. Um, so, you know, those kind of feel-good messages build that personal affinity. Um and again, that certainly has a marketing function to it. But mm-hmm. in those cases, I don't think those are primarily marketing focused messages. Those are building constituency, um, improving your your communications about who you are and what your values are. And that certainly sets up a marketing message um, down the road. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I was just thinking about the idea of you you're able to brand your organization through all of the great work that you do and the, and the information that you 
are able to share and 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 get out there into the you know into the world um and so that becomes that awareness piece that then brings somebody back i i'm pretty sure so i've i do some volunteer work with volunteers for outdoor colorado and i'm pretty sure that they usually have your little placards at at the kind of the registration tables when, when volunteers show up to work. Um, so, you know, just getting in front of that wider audience, uh, builds that awareness piece for you. Yeah. I mean, coalition building and finding like, like, like-minded groups like, uh, VOC is, you know, a wonderful thing. Um, and again, you have to balance that with like, well, where, where are we going to make sure that this furthers the capacity of the organization? You want to, be able to tell your board and your members and all the people that support you that we're not just um, preaching to the choir or reaching the same small audience. We're we're really we need to scale this thing to where we're protecting more natural resources next year than we did this year. And you know, to go back to our earlier point, the next year that we're looking at now is going to be hugely important to make sure mm-hmm. that we have grown the capacity of the center to bring the messaging in front of as many people as possible. The need is clear um, that there's tons more room to grow. Um, and we you know, believe passionately that, that dollars contributed to the organization really do help protect more natural areas. But at the end of the day, that's still going to mean asking people for, people for dollars. It can't just be saying um, this is important work and it needs to be done and, you know, one of the things we didn't touch on, but there's like this interesting um, balance between positive and negative messaging, right? Like there's a mm-hmm. real role. If there's anything we can learn from our um, brethren in the political realm, it's that negative messaging can be highly effective. And in our world, it's really important not to be scolds and not to be perceived as like the trail police. But at the same time, people can be extremely motivated by a message that says, these areas are in trouble and it's because of bad behaviors that we need to change. That can be a motivating message for people. And that's not wrong or that's not fear mongering. That's um, letting people know that, you know, there are bad uh, behaviors out there and they're not necessarily being conducted by people who are bad people. Mm -hmm. Their impacts that they're causing are harmful to wildlife, harmful to natural places that we treasure and, um, you know, we believe education is the best, cheapest, most effective way to um, get people to change those behaviors. But, you know, there is a, a necessary um, use of like the more it's not all um, happy, happy go lucky messaging all the time, I would say. Yeah, it's I'm, I was actually just reading <clears throat> a book uh, earlier today that was talking about coaching and how some of the most effective coaches, and this was, you know, coming at it from, from a perspective of sports, but some of the most effective coaches have a real solid balance between praise and, um, and criticism. And when you can, when you can find that balance and, and create that, you know, that synergy, that people understand that that there are opportunities to do better, but that that what they're doing is is also good. Um, you know that that tends to be where a lot of that progress gets made. 
for sure. I mean, it's like educators too, right? Like you look back on, you know, your, your teachers that meant the most to you, they probably wasn't going to be the, the pushover that called every Friday free study hall. And, uh, it was that teacher that got something out of you that you didn't know you had. And that probably meant some, you know, honestly harsh evaluation of your work as a student at some point. Right. So like the nonprofit, um, has a need, I think, to find out, well, where can we push people a little bit in a way that they're going to appreciate of like, come on, we can do better. Uh, right. You can help somebody do better. You can show some tough love. Um, and again, you know, it's a real danger in this field to be perceived as scoldy or holier than thou. I think we've all made our mistakes in those ways uh, at times in the past, but um, there is something really to be said for like, when somebody looks and says, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that they were willing to shine a bright light on something that needed to have it exposed. Yeah. And that's where testing comes in and, and plays such a huge part. And you usually hear that mostly in the, in, you know, the, the realm of marketing, but certainly you can test messaging, you can test communications and see what is, what's creating the, the effect that you're, you are hoping to achieve, um, you know, simply by pumping the brakes a little bit when we get, when we tend to get a little too excited about a, a, a particularly, you know, bad event that's, that's going on and, and leveraging that passion and that idea, but, but testing that message before we necessarily go out and, and, and do something that's going to turn, you know, some large percentage of our audience away. Yeah, yeah, we had quite a go around um, uh, last year, maybe two years ago now, but there was a really vocal um, voice in social media that was basically saying, leave no trace is too namby-pamby. And I'm going to take it on myself to call people out in the harshest possible terms for their bad behaviors. And, you know, it caused, uh, it got a lot of attention. It's easy to get attention that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but then if you look at it and you say, well, what was the outcome of that? How many people really changed their behaviors in positive ways because they were getting just trashed? And um, that has its drawbacks. Like, I won't say that there's never an occasion to harshly call people out, um, but um, it's just an interesting, you know, since we're talking communications and marketing I think it's uh, an interesting tension that sometimes uh, a really heartfelt, honest, and somewhat negative um, message can have as as much of an impact as uh, something that's very positively worded and and happy in tone. Yeah, I agree. I think <clears throat> yeah, there are plenty of examples of 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 both sides of that where you have people who are just so overly. Um, you know, harsh about everything that that can turn an audience off. But then if, if you are, you know, just constantly praising and not pointing out the fact that, that there are actual problems out there, then people start to wonder, wonder why, why you're in business or, exactly. <laughs> or what, what it is you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I do a fair amount of grant writing for the center and um, not the most enthralling writing that I've ever done in my life, but again, really satisfying when it works and somebody feels you're worth, you know, um, creating a grant opportunity for an organization. And you start a grant with 
the problems, right? You don't say like, oh, everything's great and we educate people and then it's greater. <laughs> right. Set up, you know, there's a real need for you to donate $50,000 or, or $100,000 or $10,000 because here's the problem. Here's how we're going to solve it. Here's the timeline that we'll be working on. And these are the outcomes that we anticipate. And um, if you do a good job with that, it started because you stated, stated the, the, the problem to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about a movie, <clears throat> you know, particularly an action movie, there are lots of ups and downs in, during the course of, of a good, uh, well-crafted film. Um, you know, you don't just have one uh, inciting event that, that gets overcome and then the, the movie's over. That would be pretty boring. You know, the, the hero tends to go through all of these crazy you know, p- parts of the story where, th- where it looks like they've gotten to the other side and then there's another challenge and, and, and it's that, that kind of overcoming and, 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 and that process of, of painting that picture for people that, um, that really creates a compelling, uh, reason for them to engage with, with any organization. Yeah. And I'd, I'd go back to where this is where in my mind, marketing and communications for a nonprofit is really closer to for-profit work than people realize. Like uh, uh, if you're selling house paint, you need to convince the consumer that, you know, you might be happy with the color of your house right now, but our colors are nicer. And by the way, we're more durable. And there's a sale coming up where you can get a bunch of our paints and you're going to have this great looking new house and your old paint, Truthfully, it really isn't all that great. So, you know, you you need to start with um, you got something and you could get something even better and we've, mm-hmm. we can provide it for you. And a lot of that is really similar. I think, you know, people know that there are problems in places, things like outdoor spaces. Um, they're not sure what the right solution is. And, you know, for one person, if you're super focused on on trail access for hiking, American Hiking Society might be the place where you want to go. That's, you know, you're all in on that activity and all of their imagery and messaging looks like that's, this is the home for me. So they have succeeded in finding their consumer. They've got the right content and feeling of belongingness for that consumer. And that's the space that we're playing in. So we do, you know, have somewhat competitive relationships with our other environmental nonprofits out there, but we also have great opportunities for collaboration and um, uh, partnership work. And those two things aren't exclusive. You know, we, yeah. we might convince somebody that they want a Leave No Trace membership and an AHS membership or whatever else they want to do. Um, but we are marketing to them and we are communicating with, with them. And, you know, that is just part of what we're doing. It's, it doesn't, really work to pretend otherwise. Right. Right. Well, I love it. I think that it's just a, such an interesting topic of conversation in terms of trying to, you know, create an understanding around when, when you should be, um, you know, taking that action to ask and, and when you should just be spreading the message and, and, uh, and continuing to reinforce why that, why that action and, and that ask is so valuable. Yep. Yeah. Lots of good challenges out there. So, you know, I hope we covered a lot. Is there, 
are there any things we wanted to uh, tap into before we wrap up? No, I think that that is a, a great place to, to kind of, you know, wrap things up. Um, I'd love to have you let people know how, how they can get a hold of, uh, of your organization and find out more about Leave No Trace. Yeah. Thank you for that, um, Stu. It's uh, LNT, Larry Nancy Thomas dot org. Um, probably the easiest, best way to get started. And then um, searching for uh, our feeds on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and YouTube, um, all the other places. Although we still haven't got that TikTok channel up yet. So, uh, <laughs> That's something to work on. But you'll find us in all those places. And yeah, let us let us know how we're doing. Mark at lnt.org at well, if anybody feels inspired to shoot off a message to me. Yeah, that sounds great. I I love having these conversations. I love talking about how we can all make a a, a difference in the world and and how nonprofits can do a better job of of uh, you know getting their message out and and getting people to take action. And so that leads me to my final question for you. And and it's and it's really can be anything. But if if you were to ask people to take an action after listening to the show today, what action would you ask them to take? Hmm. Um, I think it's probably the best starting place is to, um, ask yourself, what could I do better the next time I go to a natural area? Um, I think we all feel like we're pretty leave no trace in the way we handle things. But I'll tell you, um, when I joined this organization and took the master educator course, I realized that there was still farther that I could go. And so, Getting into that frame of mind of seeing yourself as a steward of the outdoors with an ethic of wanting to protect natural values, that's probably the most effective um, thing I could ask anybody to do in terms of how they're going to contribute to the natural world. I love it. I really appreciate that. I think that we can all do our part to make sure that we're you know, leaving no trace when we go out into the, into our wild spaces. And and whether that's making sure that we go through that puddle that is in the middle of the trail instead of, of going around it or picking up some of those dog poop bags that are becoming more and more uh, frequent out there. Um, you know, but just making sure that we're aware of what we're doing because we all, we all have an impact. And I, I, I love that approach. I, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a fun conversation and uh, looking forward to hearing from anybody out there that wants to carry on the conversation. I love it. Thanks, Mark. Have a really great evening. You too. All right. There you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com slash podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.